Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Well, this morning I want to continue in our series called Personal Encounter, a series we've been doing the last couple of weeks about the power of a personal encounter with Jesus. When you genuinely come to that moment in your own life where Jesus goes from being a story or a religious, uh, uh, maybe a religious tale that you've been told or, or maybe something you learned about in Sunday school or maybe a rumor of something that you heard from somebody else to your own moment where you are standing face to face with him. And that idea of being face to face with Jesus is actually something that we see right throughout the Bible. We see how men and women of God experienced or encountered Jesus in a powerful way. And, and, and it wasn't just the, they became men and women of God through that encounter, but, but they were people just like us, ordinary people, people who sinned, people who failed, people who were flawed, who then had a supernatural personal encounter with Jesus and stood face to face with him where he went from being a story to being a reality, to being something that they had personally encountered and were able to personally trust in and believe in. Like Abraham did and Moses did and David in the Old Testament, it says David continually saw the Lord before him. Moses said, God, if your presence does not go with us from this mountain, we are not leaving. We, we cannot go anywhere without your presence, Abraham, who met the angel of the Lord outside the tent. And, and we saw how, how Saul had that encounter on the road to Damascus. And, and John had the, the, the revelation of Jesus. And he was transfigured before him. In that moment, all the stories become a reality to you in your life because you've now encountered the resurrected Jesus. And we genuinely believe that each of us need to have a personal encounter with Jesus. Our faith cannot be secondhand. It cannot be inherited. It cannot come through just a value system or a principle, a set of principles that we inherit. Uh, maybe we, we, we follow certain truths that we hear about in the Bible, but we're applying them in our own strength. No, what we need to come to is a personal encounter with Jesus, His person, His grace, his power, and then we're charged to take that encounter, to take that reality of what we've experienced to our world, to actually be witnesses to our city about the resurrected Jesus, witnesses to our nation. The Bible says God makes his appeal through us. And what we're doing when we've encountered Jesus is that we're not just sharing some religious ideas. We're not just getting people to subscribe to a religious agenda or a religious program, but we're actually causing a collision. We're causing a car crash between us and Jesus, between people and Jesus, where, where their direction is altered, where the, the road that they were on and the path that they were taking is eternally altered because they encountered Jesus for themselves through our lives. And so we are charged to go out and cause a car crash. Some of you are really good at that. Some of you have done that many times. You've, you've caused accidents. You've, you've had collisions. 
I remember my first time having a, a car accident. I was 19 years old. Uh, my first car that uh, I was uh, privileged enough to have received, my dad bought me a Mazda Etude, white Mazda Etude. Um, and uh, after school, I was going to go and study in the U.S. And so I needed to work for a while because the term started in September. And so I took a casual, not a casual, but a temporary position um, at Standard Bank in the call center. And just after my 19th birthday, um, I had my first day of training in Commissioner Street in downtown Joburg. And how many of you know, even if you're a really, really experienced, qualified driver, downtown Joburg is a challenge, right? I hear these days roads are splitting and like cars are being swallowed. Like this is actually happening in Joburg. It's, it's, always, it's always real out there. And so I went, I got to the building, I parked in the parking, I had my first day of training, and I was already feeling nervous about driving home because I didn't exactly know how to get back to the highway uh, from Commissioner Street from that building. And this is before GPS was available or before there was Google Maps or anything like that. And so I had, I had no little digital voice telling me where to go. I had to follow the voice of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, maybe I wasn't hearing well that day, but I couldn't find the highway. And I got a little bit nervous that I was going to drive into a bad area or just get completely lost. And so as I was driving, I'm kind of looking left and right. I'm in a, a lane that is supposed to be going straight, but I see a sign that says the highway is left. Like God showed me a sign just as he promised he would. And I knew this was an opportunity I had to take even though I had entered the intersection. And so even though I was going in the, in the, I was in the, in the straight lane, I turned left and did check my mirror, but there was somebody in my blind spot, a delivery guy on a motorbike who decided that he was in the turning lane, but he also wasn't following the voice of the Holy Spirit and decided to go straight. And so I'm in the straight lane going left. He's in the turning lane going straight collision course. We collided. And, um, and what happened is, is that the handle of his motorbike went through my passenger side door. He went over the, over the motorbike, landed on my bonnet, rolled off, landed in the road in front of my car um, in, this, in this moment. And I share this just to show you how committed I am to helping people encounter Jesus. <laughs> like after that near-death experience, he was so much closer to the Lord and so much more aware of the finite nature of life, you know, that life could end at any point. So I like to feel that I had a role to play in his spiritual journey, but fortunately nobody was seriously injured. Um, the most damage was done to my car, but the idea here of a collision or, a, or, or something where there's a, just a, a clash is really what this encounter with Jesus looks like. That it's not just something that gently comes alongside you as you're living out your life in your own strength by your own will. It's actually a collision of wills. It's a crash of wills. It's a, there's something that is shaken. There's something, that, something abrupt that happens that alters the course, that changes the way, that, that completely changes the person that you are from that moment going forward. And I, and, I, and I want us to think about it in this way because it is a supernatural moment of revelation that changes everything about us and everything about our future. When we have collided with the truth of who Jesus is and encountered his actual person, 
That's what it's like when you meet Jesus. Everything after that is radically different or should be radically different. Otherwise, I would suggest this morning that perhaps you haven't encountered Christ. If you can adopt a Jesus and carry him around with you as an idea or just a compartment in your life or just a, or just a religious thing that you put alongside all the other things that you do to help yourself, like Christian-themed self-help, you haven't encountered Christ. It should be a radical encounter. It should produce some radical results. Right, church? Jesus said that there will be fruit, a different life, a different view, a different heart, a different, a, a different desire within you. At the very least, there should be conflict between your will of the flesh and God's will through the Spirit. And you should feel that conflict. And you should surrender to the Spirit. It should be doing something in you, it should shake the foundations upon which you've built your life. God shakes those foundations. He speaks about it in Hebrews. He says, once more, I will shake all things so that the things that are shakable will pass away and the things that are unshakable will remain. And so an encounter with Jesus is really, that's why they call it a come to Jesus moment. It's a moment in which you have seen the truth and it's changed the very foundations of your life, the very core of your identity. We see Saul, who had his identity changed in a moment and became Paul. We see how he encountered Jesus like this. In Acts 9, verse 1 to 8, it speaks about how Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He was a Pharisee. He was well-versed in the Old Testament. He was was zealous about the law of God, and he felt that these people that came and preached grace through Jesus Christ as the Messiah, he believed that they were doing a disservice to God and needed to be stopped. And he was doing this, he was breathing these murderous threats under his breath. He was breathing these threats, and that's indicative of the fact that he wasn't just doing this to tick a religious box. Okay, the people around me are going to expect me to be zealous, so let me just be zealous while they're looking. Let me do something that will give myself a better reputation. Oh, look at Paul. Look at how zealous he is. No, this is something he deeply believed. He's like walking on the road. There's no one around him, and he's like, man, these Christians, I'm going to get them. I'm going to go find them. I'm going to throw them, and they're murderous. He's like, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to take them out. All these people preaching Jesus was the Messiah, I am going to end them. And so he is, he's breathing these threats against the disciples of the Lord. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way. Isn't it beautiful that Christianity, the church, the community of people wasn't called the church. That word only came later. Initially, they were known as members of the way, partners in the way, men and women that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And here's the car crash. Suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So he fell to the ground, very much like the man on the motorbike, went over my bike and just on the ground, this is what happened to Saul. In this moment, there's such a collision that he's down on the ground, wondering what is going on. And he hears a voice speaking to him saying, Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? I love that because who was Saul persecuting? The church. Jesus had been ascended already. He had ascended into heaven. But he's present through the Holy Spirit in his church. And so when you come against the church, you really come against Jesus. You really, and and, and Gamaliel warned them. He said, if this is of God and we fight it, we will find ourselves fighting against God. And so we've always got to be careful about how we speak about God's body, about his church, lest we be found persecuting Jesus. We might have our own come to Jesus moment. We might, have our, we might have find ourselves lying on the ground with a light shining around us at some point. But this moment where Saul is lying there, he answers and says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. This encounter had a profound effect on him. There's three things that I see in this passage that I wanna highlight to us this morning as the effects of a collision with Jesus, the effects of an encounter with his presence. The first one is that the collision is personal. It's personal. It tells us that the men who were traveling there, they stood speechless, they heard the voice, but they didn't see the light that Saul saw. And so as much as there is a general revelation of God in all of creation, and as much as there is a a specific revelation of, of God through the person of Jesus to the whole world, there is also an individual revelation to all of us through the power of the Holy Spirit. God is revealed to each of us individually as we encounter him. He says, he shows up, there is a spiritual light that enlightens our hearts where Jesus is presented through the preaching of the gospel and it is up to us to respond to that revelation. But it's a personal revelation. And why does God make it personal? Why didn't he just reveal himself and that light to all the men that were there in that moment, to everybody who was traveling with Saul. Why did only Saul see the light? I believe God does that because he wants you to know that he cares about you, that he has chosen you, that he has a plan for you. He wants it to be personal to your life, that you can say, I have encountered Jesus. I have seen the resurrected Christ. And it's personal because it affects you personally. Your own life looks different after you have met Jesus in this way. It can't be secondhand, church. You've got to know Jesus. And when we think about believers and when we as as elders consider people for different roles and pray over people and, and when God lays people in our hearts, We often wonder, do we see them sitting with the word of God, genuinely just in love with Jesus, wanting to hear from him? Can we see them doing that? Can we see them genuinely just getting on their knees before God and spending time with him and saying, Lord, I belong to you, will you lead me? Because that is the mark 
of somebody who has truly encountered Jesus, who has truly surrendered their lives. Which is the second thing that we see in this passage of Scripture. That when you've had a personal encounter with Jesus, that collision leads to submission. Have you ever heard people say, when I see God in heaven one day, I'm going to have a bone to pick with Him. I'm going to tell you, you're going to have no bones to pick, right? Your bones will be jelly at best, all right? You'll be, you'll be doing well if you manage to lift your head off of the ground to gaze at Him through this, you know, this, uh, kind of like a side gaze, if you manage that at best. Because when you encounter the creator of heaven and earth, the all-consuming fire whom our God is, the one who holds all the stars in his hands and knows them all by name. When you stand before the one whose eyes are flames of fire and a double-edged sword proceeds from his mouth and his voice sounds like the rushing of many waters, you won't have bones to pick. You won't have arguments to raise. You'll have one response, submission. You'll understand, like Saul understood, who are you, Lord? He calls him Lord. He doesn't even know who he's speaking to. Who are you, Lord? Clearly, you are greater than I am. Clearly, you are in charge. You are the king, and I am not. Because what I'm encountering here is greater than me. Now, some people take the image of Jesus and then they, they take God and then they try to fashion God in their own image. Somebody once said, God made us in his image and then man returned the favor. We started taking God and diminishing him to the level of our humanity as opposed to surrendering to the king that he is. And so that question, when we encounter God, is that is raised in our hearts is, who are you, Lord? I wanna know you, God. I wanna, I wanna submit to you, Lord. And he says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus, who you are encountering right now. And then he says this, he says, rise up and I will tell you what to do. We understand that when we encounter Jesus, that he pursues us and in his pursuit is purpose. He has a purpose for us. He is meeting with us on the road because he has a path for us that he wants to set us or a course that he wants to set us on. And so our response is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. When you have a collision with Jesus, you will be submitted to the Spirit. You will obey his voice. I was telling the team this morning, when I was in primary school, we had and I don't know if primary schools still do this, I don't think they do, but we had hymn class where all the kids had to go to the hall and we were taught the old Christian hymns. And some of those hymns have just stuck in my spirit for, since then, for, for 30 years plus. And this morning, it was glory, glory, hallelujah was stuck in my mind. I was singing it on the way to church and, and it says, be quick my soul to answer him, be jubilant my feet. I thought how beautiful those words are, that our souls would actually be quick to answer him. And the answer is always, yes, Lord. I've had a collision. I've had a, I've had a contact with the Savior. He is God, and I am not. 
And if there's a, an idol that we need to be delivered from more than any other idol, it is ourselves. We ultimately worship ourselves and our own will and our own desires more than anything else. So a collision course leads us to submission. Then the collision, third point, redirects the course. The man on the motorbike in downtown Joburg driving next to me, he thought he was going to go straight. I changed the course of his life that day. I redirected his journey. Saul had a mission. His mission was to persecute the church. But then he encounters Jesus and he forgets all about that. He forgot what he went there to do. He probably left the letters on the ground somewhere on the road to Damascus. In Acts 9, it tells us that Ananias, God sends Ananias to go and pray over Saul and commission him into ministry. And Ananias answered, having heard about Saul, and he said, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to the saints at Jerusalem. Isn't it a beautiful thing that God would take the greatest persecutor of the church and make him the greatest proponent of the gospel? That's grace. That's what an encounter does. And so he goes, this man has done evil to your saints, and here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. A chosen instrument. His course was altered through the encounter. And that's what an encounter with Jesus will do in your life. Now, I wanna ask you the question, if the course of your life has not been altered, is it Jesus that you are following? Is it Jesus that you have encountered? Many people have encountered religion. They, they may, they've maybe even encountered Moses. They encountered the Old Testament laws. They encountered you know, the 10 commandments but they haven't encountered the resurrected Christ. And so it hasn't changed the way that they've been able to live their lives. There's, there's, there's no difference in the way they handle their finances or the way they, they conduct themselves in their relationships or the way that they treat others or the way that they obey God's word. They are disobedient. They are like the sons of disobedience. If that hasn't changed, what did you encounter? But when you encounter him, there comes a moment where you go from thinking about Jesus as a historical figure or a moral teacher or somebody who's got some good advice to the resurrected glory of God. You see a revelation, a revealing, an opening up of this glory, what John writes about as, as the glory as of the only son from the father. That's the revelation that changes things. We have to see Jesus. John 1, 14, John writes, the word, Jesus, became flesh. Why did he become flesh? So that he could die for us, so that we could encounter him. And he dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. From his fullness, 
we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I want to just touch on that truth there for for a moment, because I think if we're going to be preaching the gospel to our city, we better know what it is that we're preaching. We are not here to enlist people into a religious program. We're not here to sign people up for a moral code. We're here to introduce people to the resurrected Jesus through the preaching of the gospel, through the, the living out of the gospel. And so we are not trying to introduce people to Moses. Through Moses came the law, but through Jesus came grace and truth. The law was given in the Old Testament not to save people, but to help people understand that they need to be saved. The law was there to diagnose the disease, but couldn't heal it or cure it. If you don't know that you need a savior, if you don't know that you are a sinner, then just try and keep the law. The law gives you the standard of righteousness. It is holy. It says, this is what it means to be righteous. If you live in this way, and then when people try, what happens? They fail. And so as they fail, they realize, I can't. And then God goes, I know. That's why I gave you the law, so that you would realize. It tells us about this in Romans 1, that every mouth would be stopped. Nobody would have any more arguments as to why they could cut it or why they would make the grade. But everybody would understand we are all sinners and have all fallen short of the glory of God. And from that place, when people understand that, they can receive the salvation that comes through grace. And so the law was given so that we would know our need for a savior, but the law is not the savior. Moses is not the savior. Following principles and Old Testament uh, rules and, and regulations is not the savior of our lives. Through Jesus, we receive grace and truth. Now, many people claim to be following Jesus when they're really following Moses. And you'll find some preachers will preach more principles or life lessons from the Old Testament than they'll speak about Jesus in the New Testament. It's just a a Christian-themed self-help. So the question is, who should we listen to? The Old Testament or the New Testament? The, 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 The law of Moses or the epistles in the New Testament? Who are we listening to? The question is, who are you, Lord? Peter, James, and John, they already knew what Saul was yet to find out. They had already encountered the glory of Jesus and the deity and and the the supremacy of Jesus because they had had their own moment where the full glory of Jesus was revealed to them in a moment as they, as He took them up onto a mountain and they saw Jesus revealed or transfigured before them. In Matthew 17, verse 1 to 3, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother. And he led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. All of a sudden, they're seeing the thing behind the thing. This is a supernatural revelation, not just normal Jesus, normal clothes, 
normal everyday, could be, could be the son of God, could just be a religious teacher, we're not sure. No, now they're seeing Jesus for who he really is. His face shone like the, the sun, his clothes became white as light, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah. So the same Moses from the Old Testament who had, had died centuries before, and, and Elijah, the greatest prophet, they're standing there in this moment, speaking to Jesus. And Peter, James, and John are there witnessing this. And Peter feels this would be a great moment to offer a suggestion. I love Peter. Peter's the best. It's like, it's Jesus and Moses and Elijah. Guys, we've got to say something. We've got to come up with something good. We've got to come up with something good. And so he takes this moment to raise a suggestion. And I thought about that, and we'll talk about his suggestion in a moment and why he made it. His friends also give us some insight on it. I think there were probably some conversations that happened after that moment. But the first thing that I actually realized is that when Jesus is revealed, the most natural response that we should have is, what should I do? I've seen Jesus, okay, what should I do? He says to Saul, you've encountered me? Get up, I'll tell you what to do. There's an action, there's a purpose, there's a course, there's something for us to do to honor the glory that's been revealed to us. What should I do? Lord, what do you want me to do? Peter's like, I don't know, I don't know what to do, but I've got to do something. I've seen Jesus transfigured. I saw him speaking to the prophet Elijah and to Moses, and I've got to have some sort of a response. And I love that heart. His suggestion we read about in verse four, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. <laughs> that is like the best thing. So Luke writes about this, okay? And I think that they had a conversation afterwards because Luke writes about this in his gospel. And Luke says that Peter said this because he didn't know what he was saying. And then Mark writes about it and Mark says he didn't know what to say. So I can imagine them having this conversation you know, once the moment is over going, why did you say that? Why did you say it's good that we're here? And Peter was like, man, I didn't, I didn't know what to say. I didn't, I didn't even know what I was saying. I just said something. And they're like, this is going in the gospels, man. We're writing this down. This is good stuff. Great friends. They're like, Peter's gonna love. I'm gonna include what he said, you know. God, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, that sounds random. It sounds like he wanted to go camping with them, uh, you know, maybe buy some marshmallows or do something, hang out with Moses and Elijah, ask a few questions, you know. What was it like in the desert? You know, whatever. Um, but really, it comes from Peter's upbringing, his religious upbringing. His religious upbringing was that they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, or the, 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 the Festival of Booths which was a harvest festival that they would celebrate every year and the, where the men would build temporary dwellings or shelters to commemorate how the children of Israel wandered the desert, but also to look forward to the fact that this life is a temporary life and we're awaiting our salvation. It's about proclaiming the coming of Jesus. 
And so now Jesus is transfigured. He's here. Moses is here. Elijah is here. The fulfillment of the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles and, and, and everything that Jesus came to be, it's here. And Peter wants to take that revelation, that encounter, and fit it back into a religious mold. And I think that that's so natural to us. We want to take the mystery of who Jesus is and the supernatural just power of, of what we're a part of. And sometimes in order to just put handles on it, we want to build a little temporary dwelling. We want to put a boundary around it and define it and say, oh, it's just my religion. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes, my, my religion is Christian. This is one of the best moments in scripture. God interrupts Peter. How many of you have been interrupted by God before? Oh, God, I'll build a booth. and I'll, As the next verse, it says this. It says, um, in verse five, it says, he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then God adds this, listen to him. Listen to him. He is the one who provides the salvation that was promised. You don't need another booth. You need to understand that Jesus has arrived and you need to listen to him. He is the fulfillment of the, prom of the promise. Why do we see Jesus speaking to Moses and Elijah? Why specifically those two men? Well, because Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And here Jesus is speaking to both of them because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. He fulfilled the law on our behalf and he is everything that the prophets prophesied and promised about. He is the fulfillment of the promise made by the prophets and he has fulfilled the law on our behalf. And so Jesus is greater than the law of the, and the prophets because they are testifying about him. And so God very specifically says to Peter, don't be religious now about this moment. Don't you honor Moses above Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He's the one. He's fulfilled the law. He's the fulfillment of what was prophesied. Listen to him. Romans 3, 20 Paul writes and he says, now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah, bear witness to it. They testified of it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Jesus is the fulfillment. Don't be don't make this about religion, Peter. Don't go back into the Old Testament. Understand that the Jesus that you now see is the fulfillment. So listen to him. It's a personal relationship. Follow him. Obey him. You've seen his glory revealed. You've encountered the grace of God. So don't fit Jesus back into your religious mold surrender to his finished work. Listen to him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
the three disciples at hearing the voice of God in this way fall down on the ground. And then Jesus comes up to them and we read about it in verse seven. It says, Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. Isn't it beautiful that when you've encountered Jesus in this way, your fear, you're not afraid of anything else. You lose your fear of man when you encounter Jesus, when you have the fear of God. And I've understood that the scriptures even say that, that if I was gonna be a people pleaser, I could no longer please God. If I'm gonna be afraid of what people think about me or, 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 or what, how people might persecute me for what I believe, then I can no longer be a faithful servant of God. And so in encountering Jesus, we lose our fear of man. And the only thing we then wanna do is listen to him. If he says something, we obey, we follow, we trust. That's what faith is, faith is trust. How do you know you're trusting when you're obeying? How do you know that? Because if you truly believe that what God speaks to your life is what is best for you and you trusted him, you would do what he asks you. He would, you would do what he tells you. I love this, it says, and when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. That's what an encounter does. All of your answers become a singular answer, and the answer is Jesus. Once he's touched you, he is the only one that you see. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your challenges, regardless of, of, your, or of even the, the, your own desires, you now begin to see Jesus, and you are a witness of the glorified Christ. That's why we can understand why Peter writes about this moment in his own epistle later on in 2 Peter 1, verse 16, it says, for we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when, uh, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, saying, this is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. We ourselves have heard, this is Jesus. He is my son, listen to him. For we were with him on the holy mountain and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. We've seen how Jesus has lived that out. He has been resurrected, he's been glorified, he's ascended, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. We've seen that word about Jesus even more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention. My boy Jude, I mentioned this the other day, asked me the other day, how can I know that I'm saved? And in short, my answer was, well, Jesus did everything else he said he was gonna do. So if he said he was gonna save you and if he was gonna return, if he did it the first time, why wouldn't he do it the second time? You'll do well to pay attention to this as a lamp shining in a dark place until that day comes, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This is what we have to look forward to. Jesus is going to return. He is going to fetch his bride. And all the things he said was important for us will be found to have been important for us. There are things we should have followed and would have done well to pay attention to. He will fulfill them. 
That's where our focus is. That's where we understand the spiritual reality of who Jesus is. And then we have the job, the commission, the charge to go and reveal Jesus, that same Jesus, with our world. To cause a collision between our city and the kingdom of God. To bring the kingdom of God near. To allow heaven to meet earth. To be carriers of God's grace and God's kingdom and the reality of his power and to exercise that authority in this world. To execute it. The Bible says that, or if you think about the idea of the kingdom of God as God's rulership and authority, where sin reigns, where death reigns, where disease reigns, where hopelessness reigns, what do we do? We bring the rulership of Jesus. Where, none of the, where those things are usurped from the throne and instead God reigns. Hopelessness no longer on the throne. Disease no longer on the throne. Sin no longer on the throne. Darkness no longer on the throne. Who's on the throne? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. He's on the throne. Because we've set the world on a collision course with the truth, a clash with grace, contact with the kingdom to preach the gospel and live generous lives. I have a friend who became a prophet, uh, had a prophetic gifting on his life and preached the gospel all over the world. But for a long time, he wasn't a believer. In fact, he was like Saul. He was a bit of a, a hell-raising sinner at one point. He was in the military, experienced many bad things, was very angry, loved to fight. He was a big man, six foot five, and you know, let everybody know about it. And at one point, he reached the end of himself, and he prayed a prayer. He said, God, if you are real, show me where the real Christians are. And he, was, he had lost everything. He was pretty much homeless at that time. He was living in a shelter in the, in, on the, somebody's property out in the West Rand on an on a agricultural holding in the West Rand. Had no job, no food, tattered clothes. And he was walking along a, a part of the West Rand, and that day there were some Christians that had set up a little, just a little stall outside uh, a little supermarket, a little cafe. And there was an old lady who, as he was walking by, pointed at him and said, young man, come sit over here. You know, when there's old ladies, they don't take no for an answer. When they tell you, you're going to have tea now, you're going to have tea now, <laughs> right? And she just commanded him, just led by the Spirit, come and sit here. And she gave him a Coke and a pie. She felt like it would be good for him to have heartburn later. <laughs> but she gave him a Coke and a pie, and he was grateful because he was hungry. And when he sat down to eat that food, she started to speak to him about who Jesus was and what Jesus' purpose for his life was. He ended up getting saved and having a powerful anointing on his life traveling the world preaching the gospel. And hundreds of people heard about Jesus because of a little old lady who was bold enough to offer somebody a pie and to preach the gospel to them. We reveal Jesus. We alter the course of generations through simply presenting Jesus to our world. And that's why when Jesus sent his disciples out, he sent them with these instructions. 
In Luke 10 verse 1, he said, it says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. You see, when we go and we, we preach the gospel to every town and place, what happens after we've done that? Jesus shows up. He shows up after us. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. Heaven meets earth. We carry the authority of Jesus into every place so that there may be a harvest of souls, so that people may encounter God's kingdom. He says, go and pray for them. I had a moment this week where my boy was playing in provincial rugby trials and I was sitting next to one of the other moms who her son plays um, in Eli's team and they play in a club team together. And she started telling me about how her boy, who's 12 years old, has a degenerative condition in his ankles because I was helping him strap his ankles before the game. And she says his bones are actually crumbling. And he's playing rugby today, but tomorrow he'll probably not be able to walk. And that moment I thought to myself, I must just say, let, let me pray for him. And he was busy in the game at that time, so I didn't say it. And afterwards I thought, why didn't I just offer to pray for him right there? I could have gone and prayed for him right after the game. But this week, they'll be training together again on Tuesday night, and I'm gonna go early, and I'm gonna pray for his ankles. Because God can show up. Wherever we go, He Himself comes. Wherever we pray, He reveals. He does miracles. We should go. We should pray. We should allow heaven to invade earth. So church, I want to encourage us today. Let's not be overly sensitive to how we're perceived. Let's not care too much about our own reputations. Let's not be worried or afraid of what man can do to us. Let's take the call of God in our lives with great seriousness. Jesus said, fear not. Let's go speak and share and show our world who Jesus is. Let's, let's bring the kingdom to every town and every place. Amen? I wanna end with this quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, if sinners will to be damned, let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they are determined to perish, let it be with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell will be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let, no, let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. Come on. We're here to plunder hell and populate heaven. I think it was Reinhard Bonker who says, he says, I wanna, I wanna set up a stand, a yard from the gates of hell. We are called to be radically involved to cause a collision, a car crash, an encounter, not a pat on the back. We're not just here to tolerate and Support And yes, there's moments for that. But we're here to contradict in a glorious way. 
so that lives may be saved. Amen? Can we go out and do that this week? Can we share the love of Jesus, bring His presence, pray for people, share the gospel, see God do miraculous things. Amen?